0: This is Mark Lemley from Stanford Law School, and you're listening to IP Fridays. Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in house or private practice, novice or expert, we will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks. Patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more.
1: Welcome to episode 57 of IP Fridays. Today we have certainty that Brexit actually happened... And if you want to know what happens to your patents, trademarks and designs and what you should do, go back to last, uh, the last episode, so episode 56, where we interviewed two lawyers from Harrison Goddard Foot, who told us all about what you have to know about patents, trademarks and designs after a Brexit. Our interview guest today is John Welch. If you don't know who John is, he runs the TTAB blog and also has a famous speech every year at the Intermeeting about the case law of the TTAB. So stay tuned for this interview. Before we head into the interview, Trisha Volpi of Barnes and Thornburg reports why M and M's are maybe not called M and M's in the future in Sweden.
2: M&M's turned 75 years old this year, marking the occasion with a new take on an old song. While most Americans can't imagine the candy aisle without the unmistakable M&M brand, candy lovers in Sweden didn't get their first taste of the popular chocolate pieces until 2009, Now, a trademark infringement dispute over lowercase m's versus uppercase m's has pitted one candy company against another. On one side, Mars, the maker of M&M's. On the other, mondalay international maker of its own m marked chocolates it touts as sweden's favorite a swedish court ruled earlier this month that the lowercase m M&M and m logo is too similar to the lowercase m used by mondalay on its chocolate covered peanut brand Maribou. the bbc reports that if mars doesn't appeal it will have to use the capital m M&M and m logo in sweden starting next month In a statement, Mars said it has always believed that no confusion exists between the two brands and will have to assess its next steps in Sweden, given the court's ruling. Reporting for IP Fridays, I'm Trisha Volpe.
1: Thank you, Trisha. It's always a pleasure to have you on board. So let's jump into the interview with John Welch now. I'm very excited to be joined by John Welch today. John Welch, if you don't know John Welch, he is partner with uh, Wolf, Greenfield and Sex PC in Boston. And more importantly, he runs the TTAB blog. Um, So thank you for being on the show. You're very welcome. Um, Maybe um, for the listeners who are not familiar with TTAB, can you briefly explain what that means? Sure the TTAB is the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board it's a administrative
3: body within the Department of Commerce and the role of the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board is to decide one ex parte appeals from the decisions of patent office examiners and trademark applications and two it handles inter parties cases uh, namely oppositions and cancellation proceedings between parties as they fight over rights to uh, to uh, registrations for trademarks so it's basically uh, the the appellate body um, above the Patent and Trademark Office as uh, one of its functions, and the other one is to decide disputes between parties over trademark
1: registration. Right. Um, and <laughs> why I'm asking, because uh, you always are one of the highlights every intermeeting, <laughs> and where you give an overview of the TTAB cases within the last year um, during INTA inter-meetings. <laughs> so um, what, in your opinion, was the most um, interesting case.
3: Well I think uh, the consensus is that it's the, uh, it's the in Tam case which is a case involving disparagement and the uh, statute, the Lanamax ban on registration of disparaging trademarks. Uh, the the in Tam case involved the mark of the slants. For a musical band, the Patent and Trademark Office refused registration on the ground that the mark the slants is derogatory of Asian Americans. The case went to the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board and the board affirmed. Um, It was then appealed to the United States Court of Appeals for the the Federal Circuit, which not only uh, reversed the decision, uh, uh, well, I should say it vacated the decision of the TTAB, it said that under the standard that uh, the TTAB applied, it was derogatory. However, the statute itself is unconstitutional, and therefore this decision has to be vacated. The Court of Appeals said that the, uh, the government has no right to uh, regulate speech based on the content of the speech and that in refusing registration of a trademark based on its, uh, its content violated this free speech clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution. And that case uh, is now um, the subject of a petition for writ of certiorari to the Supreme Court, asking the Supreme Court to take this issue and resolve it. Uh, What makes it uh, doubly interesting is, meanwhile, there's a parallel case going on involving the Mark the Redskins for the National Football League team. That case is in the Fourth Circuit, a different uh, appellate circuit in the United States. Uh, it uh, hasn't been decided yet. Nonetheless, Pro Football, which is the uh, party representing the Washington Redskins, has asked the Supreme Court to take that case immediately on certiorari uh, in a rare rare petition called a petition for writ of certiorari before judgment, asking the Supreme Court to take the Redskins case first or combine it with the Slants case and decide them together. So that's raised quite a, a brouhaha in trademark circles. It's very rare that uh, that a section of the statute trademark statute would be declared unconstitutional so it's raised a lot of a uh, lot of talk among trademark attorneys and particularly the redskins case has gotten a lot of press with the public because it involves a national football team national football league team which Uh, means it involves what
1: is probably now the national pastime or at least the national television pastime. And I really took interest in this case uh, only two days ago when I was guest to your um, really nice reception, Meet the Bloggers, and I won a nice uh, (laughs) t-shirt that was uh, making fun of this case. So, thank you again very much for that (laughs) t-shirt.
3: I'm not sure making fun is is the right word. But anyway, yes, it's a very interesting case, and uh, there's uh, lots of talk on both sides as to what's going to happen. I think the Supreme Court will, in fact, take the case. I think it's likely that they will not take the Redskins case right away, but will send it back to the Fourth Circuit, wait for the Fourth Circuit to decide, and then it will combine it with TAM so that we'll have the view of two different appellate courts before the Supreme Court itself decides it. So we're all waiting to see what happens. We're waiting on the sidelines, so to speak.
1: So what is your opinion? Will the Supreme Court take the cases?
3: Supreme Court will take it. I have no idea what they will do. I, I think they will. My, if I were to guess, I would guess they will declare it unconstitutional. Wow. Yes, but <laughs> don't
1: bet the house on what I say. So <laughs> So, what other, um, let's say, broader topics were in were important within the last year in the case law of the well, TTAB?
3: The, uh, uh, another complicated case came out of the TTAB and went to the Court of Appeals again. Again, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and it happens to involve the company Bayer, whom I'm sure you're quite familiar with. Um, Bayer uh, petitioned about eight years ago to cancel a registration for the mark Flanax for naproxen sodium product on the ground that the registrant, a, a very arcane section of the Trademark Act, that the registrant was using the the registered mark to deceive the public as to, this, to misrepresent the source of the goods. Now, this is a very strange, unique section of the statute that applies only to cancellation proceedings. And the, the whole argument was based on the fact that um, the company in the United States called Belmora, who has has the registration for Flanex, was selling Flanex in the United States, where Bayer does not sell Flanex. Bayer sells Flanex in Mexico; it's the number one uh, analgesic in Mexico, but it doesn't sell in the United States, and uh, admittedly has no intention to do so because it sells Aleve in the United States, which is its naproxen product. So the uh, Trademark Trial and Appeal Board agreed with the uh, with Bayer that. Belmore was using the mark to misrepresent the goods because Belmore adopted a packaging that looked very much like the Mexican packaging and made some statements in its advertising early on in the mid-2000s, referring to the long history of Flanax in Latin America, made it sound like this was really the same product, literally the same product. So that got them in hot water and the TTAB uh, granted the petition for cancellation. The case then went to the district court in the Eastern District of Virginia, uh, like if I step back for a second, when, uh, when a decision is handed down by the TTAB, the, uh, the parties have a choice of appealing either to the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit based on the exact record as it was made in the Trademark Office, or they can file a civil action for review in the United States District Court where the case is theoretically starting all over again. So, um, Belmore took the case to the Eastern District of Virginia um, uh, on review Meanwhile, Bayer added counterclaims for for false advertising and false uh, representation under Lanham Act 43A. So they tacked on claims that were outside the mere TTAB claims. The District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia reversed the TTAB and dismissed the Section 43A claims because it said since Bayer didn't use its mark in the U.S., it has no right to bring these claims. The Fourth Circuit. Uh, let me step back. It also said that um, the um, well-known Marks provision of the Paris Convention does not apply in the U.S. because it's never been adopted. So the Bayer, the, the what's called the six bis claim, was also thrown out by the TTAB, and the board and the court agreed with that. Um, the Fourth Circuit, however, recently reversed saying that uh, that because Bayer has a reputation in Canada and because some Mexican-Americans come to the United States and some Americans go to Mexico,
1: there could be confusion as to the two products, even though the Bayer product isn't sold in the U.S. And what so. I understand is that uh, Bayer even made the claim that... <coughs> There's like a gray market of uh, maybe illegally well, imported uh, flanex um, right. They did to try the, US. That,
3: the, the trademark trial and appeal board, but the board said no. That you can't count that. It's <laughs> got to be it's got to be legitimate sales. You don't have any legitimate sales in right. the U.S. Nonetheless, uh, the, uh, the TTAB said you didn't need use in the United States of your mark. Uh, the district court reversed that, but the court of appeals reinstated it. So the court of appeals basically said that a foreign company can protect its reputation abroad in the United States. Even though it doesn't use the mark here, if it can show that the uh, the defendant is using is making some false statements or misusing the mark, it's a very strange case. It's a very factually uh, constricted case, I think, because c- how many big companies have famous marks around the world but don't register it in the U.S. And don't apply in the U.S. It's, it's really kind of a bizarre situation. But nonetheless, it's kind of blown a hole in a fundamental theory of American trademark law, and that is territoriality. You know, if you to enjoy rights in the U.S., you have to use the market in the United States, and the United States has never adopted the 6 bis under the Paris Convention, so that's kind of the baseline everybody thought we were working from, and uh, uh, Bayer, uh, the Bayer-Belmore case certainly put a big crack in that. The Fourth Circuit, in making this decision, overruled all prior Fourth Circuit cases on the issue. So it was really kind of a groundbreaking case. Ted Davis, who gave a talk just before me, he does the uh, U.S. review of courtroom cases. I do mostly the TTAB cases, although some are connected. So he talked about the Flanex case, and he picked it as the worst decision of the year. Wow. So <laughs> it's uh, I, I, as a footnote, I was one of the attorneys for Belmore um, up to uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, so it was... Uh, Somewhat heartening for Ted to take that view and (laughs) say it was a bad decision by the Fourth Circuit. My my co-counsel, Marty Schwimmer, and I certainly thought it was a bad decision, and we feel
1: slightly vindicated. Yes, um... If the listeners want to get a more uh, or more another point of view on this case, uh, they can listen to my interview of Marty, <laughs> which uh, uh, right. I had a couple of months ago. But it was very interesting because you had very uh, you had a little different take on the case, uh, mm-hmm. so that was very interesting. Um, so, are there any interesting developments that you see in the case law, um, well, where um, the case law goes? Like besides these cases,
3: I think things have been pretty tame at the at the trademark trial and appeal board. All the action has been in the courts of appeals with the with the disparagement cases and uh, and the Flanx case. There's a few other uh, odd, odds and ends in the in the appellate cases. The Probably the other main topic that's coming up is the Trademark Trial and Appeal Board just issued a new uh, rules package, which is it's always exciting to get a new set of rules to pour through and try to figure out what's happening. But the um, Trademark Trial and Appeal Board is trying to uh, streamline their process, their procedures, make everything electronic, require all filings to be electronic, require, require all service of papers from one party to the other to be electronic Um it's cut down on the number of admission requests and uh, uh, document requests parties can make. Uh, I think one of the more interesting developments, one that I'm not particularly happy with, is it has this in this new rules would allow a party in a inter-parties in inter- proceeding to put in its testimony at trial by way of declaration. Under the present rules you have to take a live deposition and of course the other side gets to attend that deposition and cross-examine. Under the new rules, the first party can put in its, quote, testimony, close quote, by way of declaration, with the other side having the opportunity to cross-examine and if it wants to. But uh, as a practical matter, this now would put the onus on the the second party to set up the deposition, pay for the reporter, and get the get the uh, transcript um, uh, done. Um, I think that's a little bit unfair, particularly uh, in a big case, big sorry, big party versus little party situation, where the little guy is the defendant. And now, uh, in the past. For instance, you could let the other side take their testimony depositions and attend by telephone and cross-examine by telephone. I suppose you could try that now, but it's a little more difficult. Again, you have to set the whole thing up, get to get the reporter set up, um, and I just don't think it's fair. I think that if the plaintiff, uh, sorry, if one party is putting in testimony, it should Do it live, and the other side should be able to cross examination. Cross examine live, or the first party should have to pay for the cross examination expenses, not attorney's fees, but expenses. It's a particularly strange situation or unfair situation, I think, when one of the parties is a foreign company, because under the trademark rules, uh, and currently in force, one can only one can take the deposition testimony of a foreign entity only by way of written questions. You can't do a live deposition. You have to use written questions, which means you write out the questions, give them to the other side, they write out their cross examination, and then you go in, and the first party has to find or somebody to take the answers down under oath, like a notary public or whatever they're, whatever they're called in a particular country. So under this new rule, the foreign entity could say, "Okay, I'm going to put in my direct testimony by declaration." Now the second party not only has to set up the, uh, the cross-examination, but has to do it in a foreign country, which uh, just makes it that much more onerous and expensive for the second party, which, again, I think is unfair. So that, that is one of the issues that leaps out at me uh, under these new rules. Otherwise, there's a lot of little tweaking of this and that, and people are complaining about some of the electronic requirements for instance, under the uh, current scheme, if you are responding to discovery or you're serving a motion and you do it by mail, um, which is the typical way it's done, then the other party gets the response period, say 30 days for interrogatory answers, plus five days because they were mailed. Well, now with everything by email, that five days is gone. So it's tightened up the time periods. It's changed the uh, uh, way the... it changed the... Um, discovery closure date. Uh, As of today, you can serve discovery on the last day of the discovery period and the answers, of course, will be due after discovery period closes. These new rules will make it uh, make the deadline 30 days before discovery closes. So you now have to move up your discovery and make sure you get your responses before the end of discovery. That'll take some people, that'll take some time for people getting used to. So I think the board is trying to condense discovery, the time for discovery, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But what it hasn't really addressed, I think, is discovery abuses and uh, reining in the the use of uh, onerous discovery requests and motions to compel, um, which are, are often used by one party or the other to harass the other side and delay things and make things difficult. I will say, though, that uh, the rules also will be uh, incorporating the, reco- the concept of, quote, proportionality, quote, quote, which means that the board and its interlocutory attorneys will take into account in looking at, a, for instance, a motion to compel whether the questions asked are proportional to the importance of the case. Many trademark trial appeal boards uh, are fairly cut and dried, and they only deal with the issue of registration. They don't deal with the issue of use at all. So the need for sweeping discovery that you might want in a district court- litigation is not there for a TTAB proceeding because there's not much at st- at its not much not as much at stake um, also, in the TTAB proceeding, for example, often the plaintiff owns a registration. Often the goods are overlapping. So there's really no dispute about priority or the the similarity of the goods. The presumption is if the goods are identical, they travel in the same channels of trade to the same class of customers. customer. So all those all those issues are off the table. So there's no reason to have discovery on those issues. So I think the this concept of proportionality will make it easier for the interlocutory attorneys to clamp down and say, wait a second this discovery is irrelevant. You don't need to know who their customers are, you don't need to know what their channels of trade are, because it's all presumed that they're the same. Mm-hmm. So I hope that the the uh, Trademark Trial and Appeal Board and their interlocutory attorneys will use that concept of proportionality
1: to, to rein in some of the more abusive discovery uh, pursuits. I have a question. <laughs> um... Were there any noteworthy decisions in the field of non-traditional trademarks like sounds or colors or no. these kinds of things? <laughs> no, it was a pretty <laughs> dull year. Now there really haven't been any uh, anything of much
3: interest. That's Fortunately we have a lot of things going on in the courts because the TTAB decisions for the last year have been pretty mundane. The most exciting thing that happened was a year ago when we had a,
1: finally had a fraud claim upheld for the first time in since 2009. If people want to find out more about About you, where can they find out more about you?
3: Well, probably uh, if they go to my blog, which is at www.ttablog.com, they can one read my blog and two click on my link to my bio. So that will kill two birds with one stone.
1: So this has been a really interesting interview. Thank you very much. This will be of uh, large value for our listeners. It's always
3: a pleasure to talk to
1: you. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. Thank you.
0: That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, Please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com/feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com/itunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com/voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.